Stop and shop for everything on your list this season. Fill your days with juicy watermelon, popsicles, and fresh shrimp for the grill. And warm your nights with cozy s'mores by the fire. Soak up summer with StopAndShop.com. Stop and shop. Feed the moment. You have big plans for your property. And that calls for a Bobcat Compact Tractor. Your Bobcat dealer can match you with the perfect machine. Choose from 15 models, four different transmission types, and engine horsepower ranging from 21 to 58. With the option of an open station or enclosed cab, plus a variety of attachments and implements, you can accomplish your toughest jobs. Find a dealer near you. Bobcat.com slash ctdealer. Up next, The Truth with Lisa Booth, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. The Black Lives Matter movement is pushing a false narrative about race in America. They're driving this country apart, and it's time to stand tall for the truth. This is The Truth with Lisa Booth. Welcome back to The Truth with Lisa Booth. My guest this week is Jason Whitlock. Fearless and outspoken, we dig into his upbringing, the need to look towards God for the answers, and the harm that the Black Lives Matter movement is causing this country. Whitlock is a veteran sports journalist and television personality who has been writing columns on sports and culture for decades. He established himself as an award-winning sports journalist at the Kansas City Star and then went on to work for ESPN, Fox Sports, and OutKick, hosting shows and making plenty of noise with his fearless commentary. I don't know about you, but he's the kind of guy that when I see him on TV, I want to stop and listen to what he has to say. He's also been outspoken in his criticism of the Black Lives Matter movement which has earned him more than a few enemies in the world of sports and journalism, not to mention big tech. With that, I want to welcome Jason Whitlock to The Truth with Lisa Booth. Jason, it is an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. No problem. I'm honored to be asked. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. So, you know, a lot of these interviews, I like to kind of just start, you know, from the beginning, right? So you grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. What was your childhood like growing up? You know, if I had to use one word to describe it, I'd call it great. Um, But, you know, it was different. And, you know, you know, my parents divorced when I was like five years old. And so me and my brother and my mother moved into a little tiny apartment around the corner from the house we had been living in when my parents were married. And so... We were basically living in the ghetto, and I think when I was in third or fourth grade, our apartment got broken into, and my mother took a second job to move us out of that neighborhood to a working-class suburb, uh, you know, that was close to her. My mother was a factory worker, and it was close to her, the Western Electric plant she worked at, and, uh, and then so for... You know, the next seven, eight years, I lived there. And then my mother, her job uh, got transferred, or the plant she was working at got shut down, and she had to move to Kansas City if she wanted to keep working for Western Electric, AT&T. And, and I moved in with my dad, and at that time, my dad was divorced from his second wife, and his business, my dad was a small business owner, owned a neighborhood bar called Jimmy's J Bar J at that time. And he had run afoul of the IRS and they took his business and money. And so me and my dad, 
1984, my senior year of high school, we lived in a 400-square-foot, one-bedroom apartment back in the ghetto. Uh, but, you know, I was on a great high school football team I was the captain of and got a football scholarship to Ball State and, <clears throat> you know, moved up to Muncie, Indiana and graduated from college and started a career. But to, to say all that, despite the bit of a roller coaster, parents getting divorced and living uh, different places. My childhood was awesome. I don't have, you know, I uh, many. I was poor, had no idea I was poor. My parents did the best they could for me and my brother, and uh, I, it was a great childhood. I'd love to do it all over again. You'd mentioned you, you played football at Ball State University. Is that kind of what piqued your interest to, to get into sports journalism, just that, that love for football? Uh, actually, I had a love affair with a non-sports writer, a guy named Mike Royko. I, I found his columns when I was a kid because my dad was a newspaper reader, and I liked to read the newspaper, and my mother recognized that and started getting the morning and afternoon paper. And so I found a guy named Mike Royko out of Chicago whose column was syndicated in the Indianapolis paper. And I just love reading the newspaper. But when I initially went to college, I signed up to be an accountant. And just because that was the only thing I could think of, I, you know, I knew my dad had an accountant for his bar business. And so I said, I'll be an accountant. But a friend of mine couple years older that I had went to high school with and then he also went to Ball State he was like dude you know you you love to read the newspaper and you love sports you should be a sports writer and so the second semester of college I changed my major to journalism and uh, the only thought I had in my head was like man I want to be a sports writing version of Mike Royko syndicated columnist out of Chicago. And what was it about Mike Royko that, uh, you know, you read his columns, what was it about his writing or his writing style that sort of piqued your interest or, or you liked about it? Strong opinions and just very funny. And I had no idea uh, whether I was going to like or dislike, agree or disagree with his columns, you know, the two or three times a week that I I just thought he was clever and he was funny. I thought he was honest. I didn't recognize it at the time because I was just a kid, but he had very working class values like my family and friends. And, you know, uh, when, when I got older and learned more about Mike's background, Mike's family had a neighborhood bar that he kind of grew up on a bar stool at uh, you know, and I think in somewhere in South side of Chicago or North side of Chicago, I, I can't remember, but he kind of grew up like me on, at a neighborhood. My dad, again, from most of my life, he ended up getting a second bar called the Masterpiece Lounge and <clears throat> Masterpiece Lounge was my favorite place on earth. And I'd sit up on the bar stool and talk to factory workers and mailmen and just working class people and so Mike and I kind of grew up similarly despite different races. And, you know, my dad's bar catered to black factory workers or black working class people. And uh, I just Mike kind of, it come to find out, kind of represented my views because we grew up alike. Very cool. Have you ever had a chance to meet him? I tried. And uh, right before he died, 
I, somebody was making an effort to like get me an autograph picture of of Mike and and Mike passed away, but I wrote him a couple of letters in my lifetime, and I think one of one of them he responded to, but it wasn't much of a response. Uh, but no, I never got to personally meet him. I have gone to the Billy Goat Tavern in Chicago that he made famous, uh, but I never. Well, I'll got have to, to go meet next him. time uh, I'm in Chicago. So. You know, you wrote for the Kansas City Star from 1994 to 2010. How'd you get into the television side of things? So I think it was 1999 or 2000-ish. Jeremy Shap, the son of Dick Shap. Dick Shap was a legendary sports writer uh, in New York. He hosted a TV show on ESPN called The Sports Reporters. And Jeremy Shap, his son, was told his dad, like, man, there's this dude in Kansas City that's raising all kinds of hell. He's your kind of guy. Uh, Dad, you should have Jason on the sports reporters. And so it was a Sunday TV show. This was long before there were all of these debate sports talk shows. And it was really, you know, cool and a big deal if you got to be on the sports reporters. It was a sign that you had arrived and that you know, your voice mattered nationally. And it was very, it was virtually impossible for someone that wasn't in New York, Chicago, or or L.A. to ever make an appearance on the show. But Jeremy Schapp recommended me to his dad, and his dad had me on the show. And that was probably around 1999, somewhere in that area. And that kind of launched my national TV career. Now, I think probably the year before, I was doing some local TV right there in Kansas City, some, you know, 60-second commentaries in the middle of the sports cast or whatever, but the sports reporters is really what got me in the loop with ESPN and Fox Sports and a national brand. Very, very cool. And so, you know, as you mentioned, you've worked for both ESPN, uh, Fox Sports as well. You know, you've been paying attention to sports for a, a long time. You know, when did it get so woke or has it always been so woke? <laughs> no, it has not always been so woke. And it's it's like most of me take Mike Royko, who I believe is the greatest newspaper columnist ever. Uh, he won Pulitzer, the, the Pulitzer Prize. He was syndicated in five, six hundred papers. He was known for, and he wasn't a sports guy, but he was known for his objectivity and unpredictability. You know, he'd take on the conservatives, liberals, Republicans, Democrats, whomever, and that's what I patterned my career after, and that's what gave me value. Is like, man, we don't know what position Whitlock will take, and. You know, that kind of objectivity, he'll take anybody on, used to make you very, very valuable. And then for the sports media in specific, ESPN is clearly the worldwide leader or was the worldwide leader for a long time. And the rest of the sports media took their cues from ESPN. And so that website, Deadspin, that uh, Nick Ditton, I believe is his name, started, uh, they started attacking ESPN. Um, I would think around 2008 to 2010-ish or somewhere in that neighborhood, they started really going after ESPN and imposing and, and just basically forcing ESPN to 
submit to a liberal ideology or a left-wing perspective, or Despin was going to attack the executives and the talent that didn't jump on board. And Despin basically bullied ESPN into a woke perspective, and we weren't even calling it woke back then, but just a left-wing perspective. And the rest of the media just kind of felt, followed suit. No one wanted to be attacked by Deadspin. And, you know, they went from just attacking ESPN to even just attacking local columnists or local sports writers that didn't hop on board. And so, you know, I, I would say by 2011-ish, 2010-ish or whatever, Deadspin had done a really effective job of remaking the sports media and making it a a far left-wing occupation. Was profession. that hard for you to operate in that environment? You know, you talked about before that you really prided yourself on objectivity, just shooting it straight, calling it as you see it. I mean, so was that tough then with sort of obviously a lot of pressure for this leftward slant? Yeah, Lisa, it was, it was very difficult because it was like it changed my whole business model. I, I've literally left college in 1990 saying, I want to be Mike Royko. I want to be like Mike. And I had my whole strategy as a columnist was to be like Mike Royko and be unpredictable and objective. And I saw the whole business model change and that you, you were, I wasn't going to be allowed to do that without, you know, suffering some real consequences. And so I, I in 2013, when I went back to work for ESPN a second time, they hired me to start a, a website called The Undefeated that was going to analyze the inter, the intersection of sports, race, and culture. And, I, you know, Deadspin and the Twitter lynch mob spent two years just shredding me and smearing my reputation and trying to make me unhirable uh, in this business. And, you know, they eventually won and got me fired at uh, ESPN from running that project. Uh, and and it kind of awakened me that, like, you know, there's definitely two sides to every story, but one side really fights unfairly. I mean, like, wow, really unfairly. And one side is really counter to a lot of the beliefs and principles that I was raised with. You know, I disappoint people. I've certainly disappointed my family. I've never voted. I've never wanted a political identity. Uh, I have a huge skepticism of all politicians. Uh, but, you know, I eventually have just, like, come to find out again, <laughs> you have to choose sides in order to survive in this business right now and so still have never voted but i i certainly have come to understand that one side has no interest in debate and dialogue uh one side wants to impose an agenda and a point of view on everybody and and the side that's doing that is uh, has no respect for those of us that have religious values and a religious upbringing and want to stick to the principles we were taught in the church, uh, we're just not allowed to do that. And then when you couple in that, you know, I grew up a football player, and sports and football in particular tend to imp teach 
uh, uh, conservative values that are consistent with what you're taught in the church. And so I'm just I'm not going to shake from the principles that I believe in, things that my grandmother and 25th Street Baptist Church and football have put in me. I'm never going to back away from those things. And so, you know, it's left me at this time in American history. I, I just feel like I have to uh, push back against these very secular and, you know, I go to, I think they're satanic values that are <laughs> big tech and the far left are trying to impose on me and the rest of America. Great point. We have to take a quick break. Back with Jason Whitlock on the other side. Now it's time for a plant fact. Hydrangeas are a flowering shrub that's familiar to most everyone these days, but they had a long journey to get to your garden. The first hydrangeas with those characteristic big blue flowers reached Europe in 1830 when Philip von Siebold returned from Japan where he had been working as a doctor. Known botanically as hydrangea macrophylla, this type has long fascinated gardeners with its ability to change flower color depending on the conditions it's growing in. Many people think that if they grow in acidic soil, they bloom blue, and in neutral to alkaline soil, they bloom pink. But it's actually the availability of aluminum in the soil that causes the color change. If this all seems too sciencey, don't worry. Adding a fabulous hydrangea to your landscape is as simple as visiting your local garden center and asking for proven winners hydrangeas, or just look for the distinctive white containers. Learn more at provenwinnerscolorchoice.com. Your time for some real summer fun is here. So ditch the boredom and hit up your local mini dealer because the mini summer of drive event is happening now. Get a new Mini Cooper S Countryman, all four starting at $369 per month for a 36-month low mileage lease. With 2999 due at signing, visit miniusa.com slash east for details. That's miniusa.com slash east and see what it's like to drive the most versatile Mini ever at the Mini Summer of Drive event. We talked about kind of how ESPN and, and sports media has really taken this left wing turn. But there's also, you know, we're seeing it in every league, right? We're seeing it in the NBA. We're seeing it in the NFL. We're seeing it even at the Major League Baseball recently. Where does that pressure come from? Is it is it the athletes themselves that are driving it? Is it the fans? Is it the league? You know, where where is that pressure coming from, uh, you know, to, to, to take these hard stances, these hard left wing stances? China. You know, I think we're going to have to really come to grips that China uh, is the dominant force globally right now. All of our corporations uh, want to improve their relationships with China. And so in the sports world, there's nothing more powerful than Nike. It's a 40 to $50 billion company. It's bigger more financially relevant and stronger than the NFL and the NBA combined. Uh, They are the actual worldwide leaders in sports, Nike. And Nike's interest is the 1.4 billion citizens in China. And Nike, although based in Portland, Oregon, is most concerned with Beijing. And... uh, that's why LeBron James, Colin Kaepernick, their other, even Serena Williams, their other spokesmen, they've embraced an anti-American sentiment in their public stances because 
this improves their relationship with China. And this is why they're so fearful of ever speaking out against anything that goes on in China. You know, China could slaughter the entire world and Nike athletes will say nothing or do nothing. And so all the pressures coming from China, Nike wants to sell more shoes in China. The NBA had a dream hatched by David Stern, their previous commissioner years ago, of we're going to make the NBA this global sport and we're going to get, eventually, we're going to land this ginormous television contract from China. And uh, it, it just, our companies, and you can see it through Nike, but I'm sure this is true outside of the sports world. Our global corporations based here in America that have great American brands, they're actually doing the bidding of China. The, this globalism is, is just unhealthy for American culture. And so you have corporations now most concerned with their relationship with China, and that's why they're all supporting an anti-American sentiment. It does, it does them well. It serves them globally and particularly in China. Uh, that, that's what's driving all of this, and particularly in the sports world. Is that why they're kneeling? Absolutely. The history of communist-run countries, the of choice against America and the West has always been racism. And to paint the West and America as racist. And that's been going on for a solid hundred years. That kind of steady drumbeat of America's racist, America's racist. America has more diversity than virtually every other place on the globe, and maybe more than every other place on the globe. Maybe the UK. I, 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 I you know, can't answer that right now, but. Uh, and our system of government, the Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution, the way combats racism better than any other country and any other set of documents ever created by human beings than anybody else on the planet. China has very cleverly convinced a segment of the population, a healthy segment, that Oh my, you know, there's no worse racism than what's in America, and, and no one ever says. Well, hold on, man. Go look at China. Go at how do you think black people are treated in China, and not the celebrity black people, not the basketball players, because China has a passion for basketball that's unmatched around the world. Uh, you know, there's a guy named Stefan Marbury that was a great NBA player. Uh, he's from Brooklyn. Played in the NBA ten, twelve years then went and played eight, nine years over in China at the end. And they built a museum for him in Beijing. Uh, he's worshipped there, and he will tell you, like, oh, my God, I wish Americans were as in love with basketball as the Chinese are. And so, again, why do you, LeBron James, Nike, the Chills, basketball, gym shoes, that's what their business is based around. They would actually prefer for America to be more like China because in China, basketball players, they get smothered with money and adoration. A black kid from Brooklyn, Stefan Marbury, goes over there and wins three championships for the team in Beijing, 
and they built a museum for it. But go look at how ordinary blacks or Africans are treated in China, and this is why it's so personal with me is, you know, there was a kid that played at Ball State football 20 years after me that I'm friends with, became friends with, because I've I've met every Ball State football player probably since 1985, have some sort of relationship with him. He moved over to China and was coaching and teaching football. He gets in a little barroom scrap and ends up in a Chinese prison for three years. He only got because I paid the victim $40,000 and they let him out of prison. But that's how black people get treated in China, not the way they treat LeBron James. If Wendell Brown were six foot eight and one of the greatest basketball players of all time, you know, I wouldn't have had to buy him out of prison. He'd be worshipped and all that over in China. But if anybody really wants to go see where there's real racism, go to China. But they, they've they're being very clever, and they have big tech and social media on their side, and the marketing and propaganda has black people and a lot of white liberals. I, I, Fooled. I don't even know if these people are fooled. I just think there's an elite class of Americans that want to have a communist-run country. We want to be; those people want to be more like China because it works out well for the elites. It does not work out well for the working class. Well, that's what people don't understand about you know communism and socialism. It really only empowers the people in charge, and everyone else gets screwed. Without question, and I'm glad you unpacked our conversation the way that you did is because a lot of times people accuse, well, Jason, you're an elite. You've made millions of dollars talking about sports and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, man, you got to listen to my narrative and listen to, I have made money and, you know, live a pampered life in comparison to most Americans. But my roots are class a thousand percent. It's factory workers, it's people that with high school educations. My dad didn't even graduate high school. My mother did in factory work. My dad started a factory. All the, the patrons at my dad's bar, predominantly factory workers. Though I want other kids to be able to experience what me and my brother experienced. Factory working class people broke their backs for me and my brother to move ahead. Now that I've moved ahead, now that my brother has moved ahead, I don't want to close the door for the young people behind me who are in white, black, brown, whatever color they are, they got working class parents. There has to be a way for those parents to sacrifice and move their kids ahead. Capitalism, our system of government has been the best way. There's, there's more economic mobility in America, class mobility in America than any place in the world. If we continue to go down this path of wanting to be like China, those doors are all going to be closed. And that's why I love doing this podcast, because I, I like to get to know people, not just the Jason Whitlock that everyone knows who's out in the media, but Jason Whitlock, you know, talking to you about your life story, getting into it with you, hearing these things, because it helps people get a better understanding, obviously, who the person is and where they're coming from. But you know, one of the big challenges we face, Jason, is a lot of the things that you laid out about, you know, the values and the things that you care about are being destroyed right now by movements like the Black Lives Matter movement, who's which is led by, you know, self-avowed Marxists who are talking about dismantling the nuclear family in the United States, who 
are against God, who are really driving racial divisions in America. You know, how do you see the Black Lives Matter movement? It's a Trojan horse, a very important one, maybe the most critical one. But it, it, it's it's you've said something that I've been talking about here recently, trying to help people understand cancel culture and and Black Lives Matter and the the the, the charge of racism is one of the most effective tools in canceling people. And what I've been trying to tell people is like, hey, look, man, they're not canceling Donald Trump. They're not canceling conservatives. They're not canceling Jason Whitlock. What's being canceled is Jesus Christ. And if you understand American history and that the Judeo-Christian values that were instilled at this country at its out, and yes, Sin was a part of America's uh, beginning, and and it will be and still. Sin is still a part. And so there was slavery, but there were Judeo-Christian values at the making of America, and those values were placed in the Declaration of Independence and in the U.S. Constitution by our forefathers, who were very—they were visionaries. The guy, in my view, the greatest visionaries to walk the earth in the last two, three, four hundred years. And they knew slavery was morally wrong. That's why they laced the Declaration of Independence with Christian values that would undermine slavery. And, and, but our Christian values, our lack of fear, because of our faith-based values, because you, you, you can't impose a culture of fear in a faith-based society. It just, it's all in water. They can't coexist. You can't believe in Jesus and spend a year locked in your house afraid of a virus that kills less than 1% of the people that get it. The only reason we've done that is because they've imposed a culture of fear by eliminating faith in God. And so Black Lives Matter, it's, it's an atheist organization. Big tech, particularly Twitter, the most secular place on earth. If you espouse Christian values, Christian faith, you will be under attack. If you hold on to any of those principles, you will be attacked. And you're either homophobic, racist, transphobic. You're something that makes you counselable and no one has to listen to you. They're undermining the things that made America great. If you understand the African-American journey and its essentialness to American exceptionalism, to America's success, it was black people's pursuit of freedom that made America live up to the ideals expressed in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. The African-American journey was the steroid that made America great and pushed this country forward and forward at a more rapid speed than the rest of the globe. All of that, this is what Black Lives Matter is attacking. Black people, from Martin Luther King to Frederick Douglass to Richard Allen, who started the AME Church for black people, we had long been America's moral conscience pushing America forward. And they've undermined all of that, imposed a degenerate culture on black people, and now have 
impose this uh, godless ideology of Black Lives Matter and let's destroy the nuclear family and let's uproot all these Western values that have served us well. It's <laughs> Black Lives Matter is, is like the Trojan horse that is undermining all the things that America be successful, black people be successful, all of us be successful. And they're doing it under the, the guise, the ruse of, oh, we're eliminating racism. No, you're not. You're creating more racism and more division than anything we've seen in the last 60 years. Why do you think they're against the family? <laughs> because God is for the family. It, it, again, Black Lives Matter, all this stuff, Marxism, it's all just satanic. It's, it's, it's all, whatever God is for, they're against. And God is for, for the family. Go out and procreate. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the most, and again, I say this as a single person, I'm, you know, because I have not come close to living a perfect life. I, I, well, no I one has. Married. I should have. Yeah. Not, none of we all we all fall short. You know, like that's 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 one commonality every single American has and every human being has is, you know, we all fall short. Right. So none of us are perfect. Yeah. So I just think it's as simple as look, God is for it. Family. They're against it. But I think what's scary is, you know, they pulled the wool over everyone's eyes. I mean, you even look at, you know, corporations in America, you know, Walmart, Target, McDonald's, the list goes on, have donated to the Black Lives Matter movement. You've got athletes like LeBron James and NBA players wearing Black Lives Matter T-shirts, you know, on, on, you know, on the court. Like they've pulled the wool over everyone's eyes. But, you know, what have they actually done to advance anything for black lives? Nothing. And that's not their goal. Um, you know, look, those corporations you just rattled off, and I don't want to pick on any of them, but they were mostly all global corporations. They're set up all across the planet. And I just think the globalists uh, prefer communism. They want, they, they like the way things are set up in China. And they want that for the rest of the world. And in order for the rest of the world to hop on board with that, you got to get America to hop on board with that. And we're headed that direction. We're uh, Joe Biden and what, what's going on right now. We're headed the direction of China. We have a very authoritarian president right now, and he he appears to be soft and harmless and. Uh, in early stages of dementia, but the people that are pulling his puppet strings, he's, they're accomplishing exactly what they want. You know, we keep losing freedoms here in America without complaining about them because everybody's on this massive hunt to, to make sure no one ever says a word that the left finds disagreeable. And we're, we're debating pronouns while they strip us of freedoms. And so we've all fallen for the smokescreen. We all we we think that corporations somehow uh, are on our side, and I don't think they're on the working class side. I, I think they, like all the other elites, want to. And I'm repeating myself, but I just do it just so people will get the point. They just want us to be more like China, and if we can have a CC, <laughs> CCP over here under the guise of being called the DNC, they're all for it. 
No, and I totally agree with you. And I, you know, I, I think it's it's no wonder that we simultaneously have a loss of freedoms over the past year as well. They've built up the welfare state, and you have people choosing to stay unemployed as opposed to work, so that they're more, more beholden to the government. While they also simultaneously dismantle the nuclear family in America and also take away the emphasis of God. I mean, it all leads in the direction as your point out, and then also simultaneously divide the America, not necessarily on economic lines, but on racial lines. You know, it all leads to the direction of China and communism in America. So I, I you know, I'm totally in agreement, agreement with you. And what's troubling to me is I've had a lot of guests on this podcast who I deeply respect, which is why I, you know, I, I, why I wanted to have you on and, and why I have the people I've on previously. And everyone keeps bringing up this point. And, you know, it's, it's pretty terrifying the place we're in right now as Americans. They've, Seize control of the mainstream media. And, you know, look, I have a hard time even explaining this to my family. And, you know, my family loves me and I love them. Uh, but they don't get it. They've been seeing MSNBC and uh, Barack Obama in, in particular has done an incredible job of getting them uh, to replace their focus on God with a focus on politics and a focus on skin color. And I I keep, I've been saying I would, it's been a good seven years. I, I, I think I've been saying, Hey man, what do you, what comes out of your mouth more often? Jesus, Trump or Obama? Uh, them, them three words, because I'm and I'm asking these guys because they all have a religious faith, but they all spend most of their time talking about Obama and Trump. And I was like, you know, on Sundays we'll talk about Jesus briefly. The rest of the week it's Trump and Obama twenty four seven. And I'm like, our our religious identity has been replaced with a political identity. And a skin color identity, and it just depends on you know I don't, if you you tell I'm black, I'm liberal, or I'm Democrat, or I'm Republican, or what, and I'm like, hey man, we got to start getting back in it. No, I'm a Christian. That, that trumps everything else. That's more important than everything else. And once you go to that mindset, that the world will look very different, and it's a lot easier to. And I'm sorry for using this language, but it's a lot easier to see the bullshit. When your first thought is, I wonder how God feels about this. And so once you go there, you know, questions start getting answered real quick. I know how God feels about abortion, and I need to get in line with how he feels, (laughs) or am I really a Christian? I should at least be making the attempt to get in line with how he feels more so than how I feel or how Barack Obama made me feel about it. And... But it's a struggle, and I'm just afraid people aren't going to wake up uh, until it's too late. But, you know, I'm looking at people like they wake up every day. I got to prove how black I am. And and I'm like, well, hold on, man. The the way social media and Hollywood and, and Joe Biden has defined blackness, you know, that's a political ideology. And, uh, and it, it, it's, 
And then Hollywood has defined it as something really degenerate, hedonistic, materialistic, violent. You know, in order you got to use the N word every other five seconds. You got to be profane. You know, I'm keeping it real. Blah blah. blah. I'm like, I, I don't. Skin color is not my most important attribute. I'm very proud of being black, but it's not my most important attribute. Uh, I have more things to offer the world than my skin color, far more. And but but people old, and so they wake up every day, and you'll see it over social media. <laughs> Look how unapologetically black I am. As I don't know if it's ever trended or I've ever seen anybody tweet. Look how unapologetically Christian I am. It just doesn't happen. And it should, to me, it should. Jason, I'm not often left speechless. Uh, let's hold that thought and get back to it after the break. After all that planning, it's happening. Your DIY closet renovation is finally becoming a reality. Question is, where do you put your things while you work? CubeSmart has you covered with month-to-month leases and self-storage solutions that make it easier to get organized. Online or in person, getting self-storage is convenient and fast. And because DIY renovations can easily go over budget, it's great that CubeSmart is offering up to 25% off your monthly rent. Say goodbye to before and hello to after with CubeSmart self-storage. Visit CubeSmart.com for more details. Change the way you think about your home with HomeSense, the newest member of the home goods family. They've got everything for your home inside and out. HomeSense lets you reimagine every room with fresh discoveries. Furniture, you bet. Rugs, lots of them. Table lamps, floor lamps, chandeliers. Yes, yes, and yes. Plus there's wall art, oversized mirrors, and enough outdoor furniture and decor to make your backyard the envy of the neighborhood. Grab the melamine dishes you've been looking for or that six-piece outdoor set. With same-day delivery, you can have it today. HomeSense is a new shopping adventure every time you visit. New finds arrive all the time, so every day you'll find incredible savings on different must-have decor. Pro tip, if you see something you love, don't wait, because at HomeSense, finds go fast. Get the brands you love at prices that make sense, so you can make the most of your home for less. Take a virtual tour and find a store near you at HomeSense.com. I thought you made so many good points and and you're right. You know, I mean, politics has sort of dominated people's lives in a way that maybe it hasn't previously. I, I think some of that also has been consumed over the past year with, you know, with people not being able to live their lives the way that they normally lived. And with, you know, an election like the 2020 election where it really has become all consuming and, uh, you know, I, I think is poisonous, really. For everybody, black, white brown uh asian what it's it's poisonous for everybody this political obsession and trying to you know particularly for us if whoever's listening if you're a believer i'm just you know when you go to your social media deal list christianity first ahead of your because most people put their little i'm a republican or i'm i hate biden or whatever put christian first and try to prioritize that over your politics. The world becomes much clearer. Your decision-making, and look, I, I clearly don't do this perfectly. I am a sinner. Everybody knows it. I know it. But I'm just trying to remind myself every day because I make better decisions when my first thoughts are, I'm a Christian. If I woke up and thought, hey, I'm a conservative, I, 
I don't know. That doesn't clarify my decision making as much. If someone cuts me off in traffic, as a conservative, I feel like I have the right to give them the finger or to yell at them. As a Christian, I don't. <laughs> it's just, and so my decision, you know, there's a lot of things conservatives can do that don't violate them being a conservative. Uh, a lot of things that aren't healthy and, and aren't the proper reaction. And so I just try, because one, I just think this is our only salvation. We've moved so far away from the, the values that made America great that if we don't run towards those values now and wear them on our sleeves, the little satanic movement, I don't even call I say little, the, the big satanic movement that big tech and everybody else is orchestrating is going to continue to slaughter us. We have sidelined our best soldier. His name is Jesus Christ. We better start calling on him because we're getting slaughtered right now by the other side. You know, maybe that's probably the only where to turn right now. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, we're looking at all these fights that are ahead in the country. And, you know, it's scary being an American. I mean, you're seeing the left sort of overtake the country. You're seeing these false narratives being driven by the media that are destroying relationships in the country, destroying interactions with our fellow Americans. You you see sort of this like evil and angerness that's taking over America and, it, you know, it's hard sometimes not to get caught up in it, you know, because we, we look at these fights and, and you, you see what's on the horizon and, you know, you kind of want to fight like hell, you know, but it's it's challenging to kind of, you know, while Sam, you know, looking at those fights and wanting to fight those fights while also, you know, looking above and having that grace, right? We have to identify who the true target is. It's not Trump. They're not out to get Trump. I'm just telling you. They're not out to get conservatives. They're out to get to eliminate God from this country. That's what made this country great. And so once you come to that understanding, you really only have one choice. And you will start to see solutions. As long as we keep thinking Trump's going to save us, we're not going to be saved. I can guarantee you that. And that's not some hypercriticism of Trump. It's just the reality. People have been, hey, <laughs> did Trump save us? Did, did it happen? It, 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 we're getting slaughtered. <laughs> All of our freedoms are being eliminated, literally on a daily basis. It, it's, he can't save us. We are going to have to return to the values of, the, of our four founders, or we're going to, our founders, our forefathers, or we're going to continue to get slaughtered. Now, I'm, and I'm, I'm not, anybody that knows me knows, like, man, I'm a sinner. I'm not some minister. I, I'm a very pragmatic, logical person. I've given this a lot of thought. We only have one Savior. And we're, we're, we're fooling ourselves if we, oh, we're just more conservative. If, if we win back everything in 2022, it's all going to be better. I, I have no faith in that. I, I don't think you're wrong at all. I, you know, I, I grew up in a very religious home. I'm a believer myself. I, you know, I fall short constantly, as you just mentioned, as we all do, because, you know, we're humans and we're imperfect. And that's, you know, fortunately, that's the way it goes, you know. So you just try to do your best, you know, each day. But, you know, I, I think, 
in sort of continuing this conversation, you know, we also have the the concern in America right now where we just sort of seem to be living in this post-truth world where, you know, facts don't matter in the media, facts don't matter to, you know, our, our politicians. And, it, and it's really hard to get the truth out. And, you know, I was reading a column you wrote for, you know, Outkick, Outkick when you were, you know, criticizing the San Antonio Spurs coach at the time because he was pushing the Michael Brown lie, the hands up, don't shoot, which we know to not be true. And you said at one point you believed it until you learned the facts. But isn't that sort of the challenge that we face right now in this post-truth world is that so many people don't get the facts. You know, they're getting a narrative. And I'm so glad you mentioned this, Lisa, because that is actually the point I wanted to get to in my last little rant is just what is the truth or what 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 does the Bible and Jesus, the truth set you free? To me, my faith is a search for truth. And they have eliminated, they've illegalized the truth. And this is, again, you can't have the kind of chaos and the promotion of degeneracy and the elimination of freedom without lies, without illegalizing the truth. And so going all the way back to Black Lives Matters, look at the lie that it's built on. Oh, the police are systematically going out and randomly killing black men. It's a genocidal pandemic. All the facts blow that up. Like, it ain't even remotely true. Police brutality actually is in decline in America. There's less of it. The, the facts are that the police kill about 250 black people a year and about 450 white people a year. And then they'll say, oh, oh well, it's still disproportionate based on the number of black people. We're only 13% of the population. And, uh, but hold on, the facts are that if you live in a zip code in a high crime area where there's violence, the police are going to be called to that zip code more often. And so from Chicago to Philadelphia to Baltimore to New York to L.A., are black people, are we living in high crime zip codes where the police are called more often? Therefore, you have far more engagement with police. And in order for, for police misconduct to happen, you have to be engaged with the police. And so based on the frequency of engagement, the the rare occurrences of killing black men or black people is still rare, and it's not remote disproportionate. There have been studies done that like the police actually, based on engagement, kill less black people than what you would think. But again, social media and Twitter, Facebook support the lie that and and. Influencers like LeBron James tweet out, oh, my God, we can't go outside. We're being hunted by the police and we can get killed at any time just for walking, just for jogging. It's all BS. And LeBron's promoting that BS because, again, China and selling shoes and (laughs) the money they make over there and they want this system to be more like China. That's why he's selling that. But it is a lie. And we have built a society based on lies and reacting to lies and go, let, let's go out. Well, they've created this lie. So let's go out on work, uh, working on fixing this lying narrative that they've created. 
it's I, I'm repeating myself. It's satanic. And I think one of the most illuminating things to me recently was the um, incident with Micaiah Bryant, where you had a, a white police officer saving a young black woman's life, uh, had it, you know shot Micaiah Bryant in the process because she was on video trying to stab that other woman. And then you still have people like LeBron James tweeting out a picture of the police officer, you know, saying, I, I think it was your next, it, you know, clearly targeting this police officer who saved the life. And it's like, how does someone win in that environment? You know, how does a police officer win in that environment? They want to federalize law enforcement. And so they're doing everything they can to uh, smear local law enforcement. And, you know, the whole defund, defund, defund. And, and then eventually Joe Biden, Kamala Harris can say, well, let's just let the feds take over. You know, these states can't handle it. And again, it's just one more step towards you as me living in Tennessee. I have less say so over the police officers who work for or are supposed to secure my safety. Washington, D.C. is going to handle it. And, and so LeBron and, and they're just whatever they can to stir animus towards local police so that people are under the guise of we're going to reform. You're going to say <laughs> Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and their attorney, attorney general, they got it. They can handle Nashville, Tennessee. They can handle Miami, Florida. They, they can handle everything. And it's a joke, man. It's It's centralized authoritarian control of everything it's clever what they're doing the only way to get people to see it and recognize it though is if we start telling people the truth they're out to get jesus once we start hammering that message i'm telling you people's eyes you got to beat the drum for a while but people will start to get it because they're taking away our own individual control and handing it all over to the government. And that's just not good. <laughs> it's just that only lead, the history of the world has told us where that eventually leads to a level of human rights violations and annihilation of people that will be unprecedented. We've already, we've seen it in history. It, it, it's, it's there, but we got to be on message and it, it's bigger than any of us individually. Well, and a lot of the people they purport to say they want to help are the ones, you know, suffering the most. I mean, you look at Minneapolis alone, 75 percent of homicide and shooting victims are black. You've now had at least one third of the police force have resigned or, or sought to leave since George Floyd's killing and the chaos that has arisen since then. Homicides since January 1st are up 108 percent since last year. And it's like, None of these people on the left seem to care or the Black Lives Matter movement doesn't seem to care that the people they say they're trying to help are a lot of them. A lot of people are dying and being killed because of defunding the police or the lack of the police presence across the country. They just don't seem to care at all. And the police justifiably because they're just human beings protecting themselves in terms of is it really worth me getting involved if I can show up as a policeman, as you pointed out, and save a woman from being stabbed to death, but I'm still going to be targeted as a racist uh, and still, you know, 
someone's going to tweet out a picture of me and my name and say we got to hold him accountable. Uh, I don't blame the police for for backing off and and not wanting to get involved. Uh, they're not respected the way they used to be. That that literally part of the payment of being a police officer. We paid you in respect. You got a working class salary, but you were in a respected profession. You could go out and tell people, hey, I'm a police officer. People would have a warm, oh, I appreciate you doing that. Let, let me buy your coffee, blah, blah, blah. We've now gone almost the other direction. They, they're ashamed of telling people they're police because they don't know what the reaction will be. Uh, will they be hit with charges that they're murderers and they're the most corrupt, dangerous people on the planet? And so, of course, uh, murder and violent crimes have gone up in the very communities that the liberals say they're concerned about. That's by design. If you get more and more chaos in these communities, when you come in, oh, man, we need some revolutionary uh, solution to this. You just can't trust these local people. We have to federalize all policing. It's all a setup. It's in all under the, under the pretense that they, they've, and this is again where I say conservatives have made a mistake, the political conservatives, is, is the mainstream media and the left have defined political conservatives as racist or Uncle Toms and sellouts. And the conservatives have responded by saying, no, we're not. And the proper response, <laughs> I'm just telling you, is, no, we're not. We're Christians. That's who we are. They think Christians are racist and the worst people in the world. Let them deal with answering that, because many of the left will stand up and say, yeah, you're right. We do think Christians are racist and blah, blah, blah. And then I want black people and other people that are Christians to deal with that, that that's what the left really thinks about you and your religious beliefs. They think you're an idiot. They think you're some of the worst people on earth, that they think you're crazy for believing in God. We can win that argument. What kind of hate do you get personally from people for speaking out about issues like this? I I don't think, you know, over social media, I get plenty. In real life, I get virtually none. People treat me really well, black, white, whomever. Wherever I go, people warm and fuzzy to see me, tell me they like me. But over social media, which, you know, I believe is a make-believe world controlled by big tech and Satan Con Valley. Uh, But in real life, you know, people treat me well. Now, people in the media that uh, some of the blue checks in the media or whatever, you know, they're afraid of me. But when I deal with them one-on-one or call, they're perfectly fine. Uh, You know, most the one thing I have an advantage of, Lisa, is that because I think a lot of people in the media agree with me, but I think a lot of them have a spouse and kids that they're trying to put through private schools or college, and it's just not worth the risk of approaching things the way that I do. They could lose their job. And so being single without kids affords me a freedom that most journalists don't have. Um, and you know, trust me, if I were married, I might operate 
a bit differently because I wouldn't want my wife to experience the vitriol that I have to experience over social media. Uh, and then that kind of social media vitriol can, if you got kids and things like that, it could bleed into your kid's life in terms of other kids teasing them. Look what someone said about your dad or your mom over social media. Uh, but I'm treated very well by 99.9% of the people I run into in the real world. Over social media, that probably drops down to about 50%. <laughs> you talk about you know kids, they're facing a lot of toxicity right now in the country as well. I mean, we see things like critical race theory being taught in so many schools. You've said that it is, quote, mental slavery, a Jim Crow for the mind. How much damage is critical race theory doing to the country? I mean, quite a bit, because when you talk about they're teaching hate in academia. And so kids are being indoctrinated into hating themselves, hating others. Uh, You know, it's a promotion of racial conflict in our school system. And... I mean, but, but but beyond that, you're you're taking time away from reading, writing, and arithmetic. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like our kids are struggling. And I'm talking about American kids, but then when you start talking about black kids, particularly black boys, we're falling behind in math, science, literature, all, all of this. But we got time to teach you a bunch of 1619 BS, New York Times 1619 BS, and uh, white privilege and all this other crap. Uh, It's, we're not teaching people how to think, and that's what schools are there for. We're teaching people what to think, and it's just dangerous. Well, and it's challenging because, you know, we've seen how the teachers unions have a monopoly on the education system, which is why Democrats fight so hard against things like school choice, which would actually allow for competition, would allow for kids to get a better education and to so that their zip code doesn't determine the kind of future they have, which is always frustrating because the left fights against solutions that would actually make people's lives better in so many different arenas. Strategically. The left is kicking the butt of believers, and they they this is sixty years in the making, and you know ever since Lyndon Johnson uh basically you know I think it's Daniel Patrick Moynihan that came up with the Moynihan report, and it was about investing in the black family. Lyndon Johnson rejected that, went the great society route. And the Great Society was just the the seeds of all that we're dealing with now, that they were planted uh, in, in 1964, 65, when they started the Great Society deal, and they've taken root and have blossomed now, and we're dealing with the fallout of that. And it's been a long time coming, and if uh, if if the other side, if the resistance to that doesn't get far more strategic, we're just we're just going to be holding podcasts and whining and complaining. No, I, I feel longer. you on that. I and I, I'm hoping to where people's eyes 
uh, open to what's around us right now. But, you know, I want to get to this before we get going, because I know that this is important to you and you've been tweeting and talking about him. But Kwame Brown, uh, for those at home, former NBA player, he was drafted straight out of high school, number one pick in 2001 to the Washington Wizards. He's been speaking out recently and, and you've been talking about him as well. And this is what you said about him. You said that this young man has a chance to change the this entire negative culture that has black men killing each other with impunity. What a time to be alive. What narrative is he changing? What is it about him that is really just uh, you know, driving that passion for you to want to get out and, and to speak about him? Well, the number one thing that makes me hopeful about Kwame is that he's building an audience rapidly. This is all transpired in two weeks. He's like, because he started out attacking some NBA players who have been criticizing him. But when I heard him attack them, I was like, oh, man, this guy's got a bigger message than just that, and then, than just defending his NBA career. And then as he's gone on these rants for the past two weeks, his social media following, his YouTube subscriber, all of this has exploded. I think when this started two weeks ago, I think he had 10,000 YouTube subscribers. Now has about two hundred seventy-five thousand. Uh, he had five, ten thousand Instagram followers. He now has one hundred seventy-five thousand. His message—not just the attack, not just the spectacle of him beefing with guys—his actual message is resonating, and I'm watching people respond to it with extreme passion, almost instantly. And his message basically is a conservative message. And I wouldn't even say basically, it is a conservative message. He has defended Thomas Sowell, Larry Elder, Candace Owens. He has talked about self-responsibility and fatherhood. And his whole thing has been by, he didn't, these guys that have been ridiculing Kwame Brown for the past 20 years, he's been out of the NBA for the last seven, eight years. His whole, what set him off is like, Y'all are interfering with my ability to be a father to my 16-year-old son. I don't want my son watching ESPN or watching this All the Smoke podcast, and y'all are trashing me about basketball and trying to make me out to be a laughingstock. My son's a sports fan. He's a little bit of an athlete. I, I can't. You're undercutting my ability to reach my son. Cut it out. Go talk about relevant basketball players. And so he's unpacked himself as a working man. You know, he's made $65 million in the NBA. He's, not, he's far from broke. But he's from the South. He still farms. He lives on acres of land that he purchases. He drives a tractor every day. He's a working-class Joe, and he's proud of that and wants to represent people like that and wants to be a voice for people like that and so for me to see him draw a massive audience and a massive black audience with that message makes me hopeful that others will follow suit and and it proves to me that there are black people dying to hear that message from people they believe are on their side. And so th- there's another guy uh, that's like a, a, a suited-up, highly educated version of Kwame Brown named Kevin Samuels, 
who's building an amazing YouTube following. Uh, he has similar values, although he, you know, he's in a suit and tie every day, and he talks. You know, he's Kwame can be very profane. Uh, he's talking to people at a level they can understand because Kwame doesn't always have to be profane because he is a very smart guy. He's got a, a common sense and a wisdom of someone much older than him. But this Kevin Samuels guy has been basically taught – his show is based off of talking to black women about how their matriarchal values are undercutting their ability to land the husbands that they want – and laced in all of his messaging are values that are consistent with conservative religious principles. And he's developed a massive black audience of people who love his content. And so there's a great opportunity to reach black people with a conservative message. If it's delivered properly uh, and timely fashion. And so I'm very hopeful that, I think, like a lot of white Christians, black Christians, we're attracted to the same thing. We just haven't had the right people communicating to us to help us understand we're actually on the same team. And Kwame and Kevin Samuels, that's not even their intent, but it's the benefit of what they're doing. Do you think there's an awakening going on of just, you know, people sort of seeing what's going on and a lot of the conversation that we've had and just, you know, seeing sort of the evils of society right now and and seeing sort of the dismantling of family and, you know, seeing sort of the poisoning of culture and the rest that goes with it? Is there an awakening going on right now? I think there has to be. It's just a question of are we too late are we going to take advantage of this awakening? Or And so, yes, I do think there's an awakening. I'm concerned that we're not going to take advantage of it in time. And if I look at the behavior of the left, they seem to know that there's like a ticking clock, that we have to do these things immediately before these people wake all the way up. And... So I see some desperation on their side that, again, gives me hope that they know that they're vulnerable and that people are waking up. But I haven't seen enough from the conservative, Christian, right wing, whatever. I haven't seen enough from that side to know that they are prepared to take advantage of this moment or if we're going to continue to and, and again, people are going to hear this as anti-Trump. I'm not anti-Trump, but Trump's not our savior. And if if we don't jump on who our savior is, and people who are willing to say his name publicly and mean it, we're not going to win. And so I, I get why people have a love affair with Trump, but if you really want to defeat the left, if you really want to uh, uh, interfere with their plans, uh, say Jesus more than you say Trump and watch what happens. I think that's a great point. And I, and I totally see what you're saying on that. You know, I try to really end these with some sort of positive note because I, I feel like a lot of people feel 
a little beaten down and, you know, concerned for the future. So I try to end, you know, there's always hope, right? And so I, I try to end with a little bit of hope. You know, give us something to be hopeful about and, and to look forward to. Well, I think that, you know, I just said Kwame Brown and Kevin Samuels, uh, this podcast that Lisa Booth would reach out to little old me and have me on her podcast. I hope that this hour-long podcast gives you some hope because, you know, solutions are hope. And so, uh, you know, I appreciate you bringing me on your platform and letting me rant and rave for an hour about what I believe is the solution. That gives me hope. This whole hour should make you hopeful. I hope. It does. And, you know, and I learned a lot as well in the conversation. I mean, I, I, I found this really interesting. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time, Jason. You always have wise words, and I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say. So uh, it's an honor, and, I, and I'm very thankful for your time. Thank you, Lisa. I want to thank Jason Whitlock again for a great interview. And I want to thank you guys at home for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at at Lisa Marie Booth. Special thanks to our producer, John Cassio, writer Aaron Kliegman, researcher Margaret Smith, and executive producers Debbie Myers and speaker Newt Gingrich, all part of the Gingrich 360 Network. If you're a small business owner, growing your business is what it's all about. That is, if you have the space to do it. Cube Smart Self Storage has the solution. With a variety of storage unit sizes, helpful online resources, and easy to access facilities, Cube Smart Self Storage provides a self storage experience that puts the focus on you because you and your business matter most. And to help you grow, Cube Smart is offering up to 25% off your monthly rent. Say goodbye to crowded inventory and hello to your business success story with Cube Smart Self Storage. Visit cubesmart.com for more information. When you switch to Plymouth Rock Assurance, you could save over $645 on your car insurance. And in Jersey, that's a big deal. Because Jersey has the highest property taxes, one of the highest cost of living, and is one of the most expensive states for auto insurance. Plymouth Rock thinks it's time Jersey became known for affordable car insurance, and not those tired old what exit jokes. So say it with me. You could save over $645 on car insurance when you switch to Plymouth Rock. Find out how at PlymouthRock.com. Certain limitations apply and savings may vary.